Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And hello, everybody. This is Jay Madison, the host of Jay Madison's Rural America. And sitting across from me is the one, the only, Mr. Ron Robbins, the co-host here on the show. How you doing, Ron? Hey, I'm doing great, Jay. We took a little vacation. We've had a hiatus here. <laughs> what the heck is going on? The well, world kept spinning, and I think we fell off. Yeah, we did fall off a little bit, but we're back now. We're yeah. back, and well, I don't know if I dare say better than ever, but we're here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, we're uh, we got lots of topics pent up. Uh, yeah, information. Yeah, yeah I guess so. So, it, so it just uh, what what's been going on with you for the past uh, few weeks, sir? Well, of course, summer just uh, on the farm just turns into one flash. I think uh, we go from season to season. We uh, we stress about the weather. It's too wet. It's too dry. <laughs> um, we just finished up wheat harvest. Uh, you know, it's just been... Uh, how'd, the, how'd the wheat come off? Uh, very, very well. Probably one of our best uh, crops ever. Of course, we wheat is that crop that likes cool and wet, which we had this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it likes well-drained soil, but it likes cool, wet weather. So we did. We had record yields for wheat, and quality is excellent. And some of our listeners may not realize... Uh, that Jefferson County suited for a certain type of wheat production. Yes, correct. Uh, winter wheat production seeded in the fall. It it greens up and then it lays dormant over the winter and then comes to life in the spring and harvested in mid July and and actually going back to the you know the late eighteen hundreds turn of the century into the nineteen hundreds we were the breadbasket of uh, of the U S here and you know really the all the wheat was grown here and milled into flour and. and and sold in the metropolitan areas along the East Coast. Now, the variety of wheat that you grow is better suited for a certain type of baked products? Yeah, so um, confectionaries, uh, cookies, crackers, uh, that type of thing. It's more of a, it makes more of a sweet flour? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, And cereal production. Yeah, it's not necessarily bread flour. Okay. Um, it's okay. used to blend in some bread flour, but more suited for, for bakery products and confectionaries. Yeah, I didn't mean to get us off on that tangent, but a lot of our listeners may not realize, number one, that we grow wheat here in northern New York and may not realize that there's different types of wheat production and that we're better suited for one type over another. Yeah, we uh, we tried growing spring wheat here over the years and uh, weren't very successful at it. Um, it's uh spring wheat is is grown mainly in areas of like north dakota and saskatchewan alberta a little cold cooler climate and of course the hard hard red winter uh which is bread flour that's grown mainly in kansas oklahoma that area of the country so uh so we're soft red winter here and that's for for like i said for bakery products you know, it, it's interesting. If you don't know, you just think, "Oh, wheat is wheat," and you know, we either grow it or we don't. But uh, there's different 
varieties of wheat that can be grown and certain varieties are better for certain types of products. Is it, is it because of soils? Is it because of climate? What, what is the um, factor that distinguishes what the better variety of wheat is to grow here? Yeah, it really is all the above. Um, soil has uh, glacier till soils, which is what we have here, um, rich in certain you know, micronutrients and minerals lead to, you know, a better quality, better tasting product. And then the, we don't have the humidity here off the east end of Lake Ontario, which, uh, which helps. Um, you don't want it hot and humid when, you, you know, wheat can sprout right on the plant, which oh. then takes the milling quality away. Okay. And uh, so, you want those cool nights so we're it's very we're, interesting yeah if you don't know it's it's interesting <laughs> to learn all this yeah it's uh it's a very unique crop to grow we i really enjoy growing wheat and of course ours is all hauled to pennsylvania there's several flour mills um and of course thinking back i mean buffalo waterfront years ago you know, those mills have all closed, but you had Nabisco and Niagara Falls, huge plant. When I first started farming, we, uh, we uh, I think when I first started driving truck, I hauled weed into the Nabisco plant, Niagara Falls. In Buffalo, you had Pillsbury and General Mills, hmm. had big flour mills there. The old remnants of the grain elevators for the on the Buffalo uh, shoreline there are still there, of course. Huh. But uh, all kind of... You know, there's a big effort to revitalize that waterfront area and, and try to uh, retain the historic nature of those grain silos on the waterfront there. Huh. But Very neat. Very yep. neat. Uh, a lot of history. A lot of history in agriculture. Well, that wasn't what we intended to talk about, but sometimes that Yeah, happens. yeah. We can just bear <laughs> off on a topic and uh, and run with it. Yeah. So, uh, so, so going back to the weather situation, uh, what have you been seeing as far as here in Jefferson County? You know, across the United States, it's been crazy. I mean, Kentucky just had that uh, massive flooding, flooding event, and then massive droughts out west where they're selling off uh, beef animals yes. like you know candy. It's just crazy what's going on out there. Yeah, the weather, uh, of course, you know the. Uh, get myself in trouble here. The climate change zealots will tell you it's it's all because of climate change. And and yes, climate does change, and uh, we're in certain cycles that are causing this really crazy weather. And uh, you know we've we've talked a little bit about that in previous podcasts, but here in the Northeast, uh, very spotty after a very very wet spring uh, into the first week of June. It just stopped raining in yeah. certain places, yeah. and lawns are brown, um, you know. And I've had a chance to travel around the state a little bit here, and and driving trucks some actually. And uh, boy, there's definitely haves and have-nots. And if you were under, you know, the thunder showers seem to train in the same areas right. week after week. Lake Ontario, finally, when we were looking for lake shadows in late May, early June, we were getting none. And then, <laughs> and then we started lake shadows uh, took over and thunderstorms come across that lake and it's just falling apart. Yep. They, they don't hit us. They don't, you know, it, it seems like Ron, and I don't know if you'd agree. Um, when I was a kid, it seemed like the 
Lake didn't have as big an impact. It seemed like we got more. Oh, we did. I can remember being a kid and mom and dad getting us up in the middle of the night because the thunderstorms were so bad. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, the phone getting knocked off the wall with a lightning bolt coming in the <laughs> phone line, you know. And uh, but you would get those torrential downpours. Yeah. Yeah. And we did not have the kind of dry weather patterns that we have now. So something has kind of changed in that whole area. But there's a lot of areas in central and western New York. Wyoming County, one of the biggest dairy counties, the biggest dairy county in New York. Right. Went 42 days and only got two-tenths of an inch of rain. Boy, that's uh, pretty significant. Uh, so you're talking significant crop losses in the western New York region. I was in southern Cayuga County on Monday. Uh, crops are really tough looking down there. Everything is just burned right off. And that's nothing compared to what's been happening through the uh, Midwest and West as far as drought goes. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, we have a former Jefferson County dairy farmer who moved out to Kansas, Mike Berger. And I talked to Mike last week. They've been super dry in Kansas, mm. Oklahoma, Panhandle of Texas. I mean, those poor guys are, are they've had no rain. And uh, New Mexico, the dairy, there's very large dairy farms on the, on the eastern side of New Mexico along that Texas Panhandle border. Those dairies, they're running out of water. They're running out of feed. Um, they're having to close down. I called, uh, I called Travis Maddock from Dakota Global uh, last week, who we've had here on the show. Uh, we've had him here in Jefferson County. He's located out there in, what is it, South Dakota or North, North Dakota. Dakota? North Dakota. And I called him to see if he could do the podcast, but he was, he was actually on vacation at the time. Uh, but I talked to him for a while about what's happening, and he said the the sell off of beef is huge. He said yeah. it's it's significant the amount of farms that are selling off their their cattle because they just they're not going to have the feed to feed right, them. Right. Right. And I was asking him about what that impact will be here, and he said, "Well, for for us here on the eastern end of Lake Ontario, even though we're in a drought." Uh, you know, we're going to be in good shape because we still have more moisture than most Correct. of the country. And so we have the feed so we can feed, you know, beef animals and it'll be beneficial to us. But he said by by fall, the price is going to be up for feeder calves. Mm-hmm. And then in 2023, it's going to be even more expensive to purchase them and that the price of beef will be going up. Right. And that's that's when, I mean, we've talked about the whole food inflation thing. And 2023 is when... It's going to be hell. Yeah. Horrible. That's when things, uh, you know, it's going to hit the fan. Yeah. I saw a report on the news uh, earlier uh, about the food lines, the food distribution events that are already starting to occur in other parts of the United States because people are getting hit so hard mm-hmm. by inflation and the downturn in the economy, the recession. And they're already, some of the uh, uh, food pantries and so on are already starting to see fairly hefty increases in the amount of people taking advantage of finding free, free food. Well, we'll have to have uh, either by, well, we really should have Michelle Ledoux from uh, Lewis County Extension on. Her, my son-in-law, Jake, 
got involved in a food pantry program in New York City, and we had beef processed um, here locally and took cows down made in that were made into hamburger, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, food pantry program um, basically had no beef. Uh, they had a lot of vegetables, no dairy. Really? Yeah. But you're talking but, about recently? Yeah, like within the last two weeks. Holy cow. And, uh, of course, some of them don't have any refrigeration. Right. And, and I'm, I can probably only tell the story uh, good enough to, to mess it up. But uh, <laughs> um, Michelle said she was, I believe they were in Brooklyn or the Bronx. Uh, they were double parked. They were in front of this. It was an older school. They had everything set up in a gymnasium. They had security there. They pulled up. They unloaded their frozen beef. Um, and she said there was no refrigeration on site. And she said to the woman running the place, uh, you know, what's what's going on here? Well, you have no, she goes, oh, this, the minute I open the gates, this will be gone in minutes. Wow. And she said the line was down the street as far as you could see. Really? And it was gone in minutes. I haven't heard anything about that. And uh, uh, you know, not here in New York. I like yeah. I said, I just heard that report about and then that. She, they went to a place, I believe, in Staten Island. The second time they went down, and that was a little better organized. That guy had ref- that runs that food pantry has refrigeration, and I believe I'm telling this correctly. He, you go in and you can offload in off hours, and then he gets everything organized and it opens up. But same deal. Um, massive amounts of people that, and they can only come two days a week. Mm. And this is the only food they're getting. Really? Wow. I didn't know. I, I had no, this was within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. This was just within twice within the last month. Mm. And so, you know, and I, it's still I not to, as bad as it's going to get. And I said to Jake, and I said this to Michelle on Sunday as we were talking about it, I said, you know, we live a pretty sheltered life here in reality. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, you know, we're as bad as it can get. We can still be pretty self-sufficient if we're smart about it. Mm -hmm. And, but in these urban areas, it's going to get really bad. And when winter hits and there's not only food inflation but we have this energy inflation with heating oil and propane not only being expensive maybe even being in short supply you know what are these poor people gonna do yeah i I just ordered my wood for the winter and i ordered extra just because i don't want to burn a drop of fuel oil if i can help it because you know what's going to be happening you know it's going to be in short supply yeah and they you know and they you know i read here the other day in europe the germans uh people are in trouble yeah and they're cutting everybody's cutting wood over there yeah and stockpiling it in those small villages and of course you talk about drought um you know, Europe's in a really bad heat wave drought situation right now. Uh, absolutely destroying crops over there. Um, you know, we did see a grain shipment leave Odessa this week. From uh, Ukraine. From Ukraine. 
But I um, wonder how many should be leaving a week. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> they say there's a handful of other ships that are being loaded. Now, keep in mind, this ship that left was loaded in January. Holy cow. And, and just, just got left. out of there. Boy. So, you know, obviously the Russians are playing games and who knows what's going to happen. But uh, I guess that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to apologize to our listeners. We didn't necessarily intend to uh, head in this direction, but it's it's the reality of what's out there, what's happening across the nation and the world. And you, if you're not involved in agriculture, you may not be hearing about these things. We hear about, I did not know about the food lines in New York City being as bad as, as they are right now. You've got well, it's secondhand information yeah. through Michelle uh, because she raises beef and she mm-hmm. helps you know supply beef into uh, the uh, the food pantry program, whatever yeah. it's called. So. Yeah, yeah. And what's what's happening down there apparently is demand is really picked up in the food pantries. The homeless shelters, of course, are full. Um, school will be coming back. Um, school's been out. So you have a lot of kids that didn't have food right? because they didn't eat. The only food they get is at school. Right. And so that exacerbates the problem during the summer months. Um, But I don't foresee it getting much better. No. Well, that's, uh, you know, like we were talking about uh, talking with Travis, you know, he was, he was saying that the, the beef situation is going to get worse because of the, the severe droughts out in the West. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to get get worse. If you're a farmer raising beef here, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah. But if you're, if you're a consumer, it's not necessarily what you want to hear because that means prices are going to be a lot higher. In fact, every member of my family, my, my siblings, are all uh, were looking at purchasing beef from, from a farm direct. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really what we encourage here, folks, is uh, we've talked about it before. Prepare here. Yeah. It's all about preparation and planning. Yep. And uh, we can we can take care of ourselves here in these rural areas. Unfortunately, people in the cities don't have that don't ability. Don't have that ability. And, and you know, we it's, it's the sad reality. So then that kind of leapsfrog into the topic we had talked about talking <laughs> yeah. about here today. We're finally yeah. getting, getting to it here 20 minutes into the show. Uh, and that is, you know, farmland, our, uh, farmland yeah. and farmland protection and the fact that we're losing. I just, a study was done by American Farmland Trust. Uh, we're losing 2,000 acres of prime farmland. Prime farmland. Right, right. Not just the, the junky stuff. It's yeah. the best of the best. Every day. 2,000 acres a day, that is a significant, significant amount of land being lost here in the United States uh, to urban development, uh, other types of development, uh, going under asphalt. Um, that is a huge amount of land. Yeah. And, and, and now we're don't adding, realize the significance of that. No. And now we're adding alternative energy like solar and yeah. other things into the mix that's really exacerbating the loss of far of prime farmland and uh yeah it's just a it's a huge number to try to get your mind around and to exacerbate the problem even greater you have a situation where there's about 
300 and plus million acres of land that will transition to a new generation over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Explain. So that land is held by somebody that's 65 or over. And so what happens is when that, you know, how does that, who buys that land? Mm-hmm. Is it investors? Is it, you know, sip, maybe a person passes away, his estate, then his kids say, we want to sell the land. So obviously they're going to sell the highest bidder, right? Right. Is the, right. the best use for that land agriculture. Right. What's being done to protect that land to keep it in ag, right, and still allow the beneficiaries of that estate to maximize the dollar value? So, Ron, <laughs> I, I don't know how much you'd agree with this. In my philosophy here over the last thirty years of being involved in the ag industry, my philosophy is that your your primary effort should be on creating opportunities for ag to maintain and grow its viability to to keep agriculture profitable and then the second focus should be on farmland protection the the programs to buy the development rights so it stays forever available one of the things uh that we're doing right now we've talked about it in previous uh podcasts is our uh our food resiliency grant program now that's focused on small farms. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't mean a larger farm uh, couldn't apply, uh, but you know it, it really is focused for the most part on smaller farms. But uh, what excites me is we've seen uh, uh, we have twenty seven. I think it's either twenty six or twenty seven uh, farms or food businesses here in Jefferson County participating in the grant program right now. They're all slated to receive grants to increase our local food supply. And some of them are you know, doing things to increase, like we have the three, uh, we have three meat processing mm-hmm. businesses that are receiving grants. They're going to increase their capacity to process you know, small and large livestock, uh, which benefits all of our livestock uh, producers here in the county. Uh, we have farms that are increasing vegetable production, fruit production. Uh, we're increasing honey, maple syrup, wine. Those three are sort of not what we necessarily intended to mm-hmm. have involved. But at the same time, I, it's still a good thing. Uh, but vegetables, fruit, beef, you know, small livestock. You know, we're, we're giving out small grants. Um, they have to spend some of their own money, too. They have to put their own effort into it. Uh, but we're giving out small grants to increase that local food supply and help those farms be more viable. And that, to me, is important. Um, the, more, the more we can help farms increase their production to meet the, the demands of the public, uh, I think that's a good thing for protecting this farmland. Yes. Um, what what else do you think we need to be doing or not just us but in general what do you think yeah so as you know as a country um we got to make it attractive and viable to keep land in production you know regulatory reform is probably the biggest thing and we get hit really hard here in new york and we have a lot of lip service that talks about you know how great our our ag industry is, and we do have a very great and vibrant ag industry, 
But I can tell you, the the younger generations coming in, they're going to have a really tough time. It's going to be, you know, how do you maintain the viability of this industry when you're making it so hard for people to enter and be viable and profitable? Well, aren't you facing here, isn't the governor or the labor secretary, I forget what uh, the exact title is, here in New York State, aren't they considering the final approval of uh, changing the overtime threshold down to 40, 40 hours. hours and and that is going to be an absolute nail in the coffin for our ag sector yeah. ag is not like other businesses it's it's dependent on weather it's depending on so many other factors that you know you you don't work on a fixed schedule in agriculture. It's not a right. eight to five or nine to five, five days a week. It's you know that's part of why we haven't done a podcast. It's we're shorthanded <laughs> and and it's busy. It's, it's been a busy. It's been, a and not just you. It's been busy for me too. Want to make sure yeah. that we're that you know we're honest <clears throat> here. Uh, I yeah. haven't done them either. So. Um, yeah, it's it's just been busy, and for farmers, uh, you don't have a choice in the spring and fall. You have to put in the hours, and that's the expectation. That is what people that go to work in agriculture know to expect. Yeah, but you know the the governments think, well, we need to do this, and it's not that they're trying to protect any worker. No. It's because they're going to get more tax revenue out of this. Yeah, in fact, the workers are ultimately be hurt by it. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, so, you know, we have that. Uh, we have other regulations that are just coming so heavy-handed down from, from our state government here that just make it so hard. And, you know, opening up access to markets, uh, you know, even in the milk business, some of the regulations that you know, are pushed upon the dairy industry, not just the farmers, but the processing sector here are so antiquated, so old, so outdated. It's, it's limiting the ability to move dairy products effectively and efficiently, you know, within state lines. Uh, It's crazy. We still have a baby formula shortage. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that is an example of where, Okay, the regulations are there to protect the consumer. In in that case, uh, I guess there was some you know some issues that developed that needed to be addressed. But then they couldn't. The government couldn't get out of its own way to get that plant back open back up. Yeah, and that's the crazy it just gets bogged down in bureaucracy. That when you're dealing with our food supply, something you know we're seeing it on the energy side. We're seeing it on the food side. Right now, when you start messing with those two sectors, they're so critical to human life yeah. and economic prosperity for everybody. Mm-hmm. No. You can't mess with it like they are. No, and government has to be more adaptive, more efficient, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? more willing to move quickly when it comes to those two sectors because of the impact that 
it has on the livelihood of of the people of this country. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, and you know, back to the farmland protection thing. You know, it's <laughs> without the without the land. Yeah. Uh, you need the land to grow the food. Right. And, you know, unless, you know, some will say we're going to eat bugs and we're going to eat 3D meat. And <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I hope I'm not around uh, to have to have that experience. But uh, um, I've eaten bugs, but never by choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been a few times where I've been walking down the street or the, the out in the field and, you know, inhaled. You know, and the, and the sad part of it is, Jay, that, you know, both in food production and energy production, nobody does it better than U.S. Right. Right. Producers. Yeah. And cleaner. Yeah. And and cleaner, but the, we keep the, beating ourselves over the head. The amount of technology that's involved that we use on the farm, the increase in productivity from the t- just in the last twenty five years, yeah, is monumental, incredible, incredible. And why we want to pull us back and tie us off like this is just blows my mind. I and and the poor average consumer is, you know, we need to be concerned about this. Of course, we've heard in the news lately, the Chinese buying sensitive farmland in North Dakota and in Texas. We've seen, you know, investments groups and the Bill Gates Foundation gobbling up farmland. And, you know, that's all concerning as well. Yeah, especially with the Chinese. Yeah. You know, there, it's, you know, it. I've always said that, the ability of a country to feed its people is the foundation of their security. And we're selling it to our enemy. Yeah. That's, I mean, look at what's going on right now over Taiwan of all places. And we've got the, the Chinese, the, you know, communists are buying up our farmland. Yeah. It's, it's not a good situation. Well, Ron, I think, uh, I think we hit the 30 minute mark. Yeah. We, so, uh, good to get back in yeah, front of yeah. the mic here, Jay, and, uh, let's get back on track and, uh, I'm going to be traveling a little bit. I'm headed to the Midwest, uh, uh, be around later next week. Maybe we can do a podcast in the following week, headed out to Iowa. We have a group that gets together. We'll have, a a lot of good information that comes out of that meeting. Geez, maybe we can set you all up remotely. Yeah. Oh, boy. Be careful what you wish for there. <laughs> you know I have to be sensitive on the politics yeah. side of things. Uh, we do have we do have uh, a great interview lined up next week. Uh, on next week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the new CAFO regulations okay, great. here in New yep. York State. So if if you can't join me. Yeah, no, I should be able to, I think. Yeah, so, so but it's, it's going to be a very interesting interesting show and uh, looking forward to the two guests that will be joining us so well folks uh we're gonna wrap that up we really appreciate you being patient with us and uh you know make sure you check in every week as uh we bring you jay madison's world podcast thank you very much ron yeah you're welcome jay all right folks have a great day and we'll talk to you later thank you for tuning in to jay madison's rural america Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.